0: Hi guys, just a quick little announcement before today's video. I know that a lot of you prefer to listen to these videos, so I want to let you know that the entire EE library is up on Spotify, so you can listen to it on the go without ads. Either way, I hope you enjoy the video. If 2022 was defined by one economic problem, it would be inflation. Inflation in most advanced economies around the world right now is running very high, with some countries, once famed for their monetary stability, seeing double-digit annual price increases. These are also just the headline figures, which don't account for a lot of the expenses endured by real households, even though that's technically what they're supposed to do. Interest rates are perhaps the obvious example of this, because they are somewhat of a double-edged sword. They are the primary tool that central banks can use to rein in inflation, but they also cause interest payments for regular households to increase at the same time that they are struggling to pay for everything else in the world that's suddenly 50% more expensive than it was two years ago. These are just advanced economies as well. Select developing economies are running double digit monthly inflation, but for the most part these isolated examples are having these problems because of things like bad governance and a refusal to raise interest rates like everybody else is trying to do right now. I'm not going to name names, but I will say that it's ironic that Thanksgiving is coming up soon. Raising interest rates in countries that still have consistently high inflation is the right move, even if it is bitter medicine. But, as with most things, a prevention is better than a cure, so perhaps the most productive way to understand what is truly causing persistent inflation in our own economies is to look at other economies that aren't having that problem at all. Even if the lessons of places like Switzerland, select European countries, and yes, even China are too late to implement in our own economies now, they can potentially teach us a lot about why inflation actually happens and how to avoid it in the future. So why are select countries from around the world not having the same problems with inflation that every other country is? Could we just do what they are doing to fix this inflation issue ourselves? And at what cost did these economies gain their immunity from inflation? Once we have done all of that, we can put the economy of Switzerland on the Economics Explained National Leaderboard. One of the most important things to understand about inflation is that inflation is goods and services becoming more expensive not money becoming less valuable. That might just sound like a different side of the same coin, but it's really important. The reason this is important to understand is because different areas can have different rates of inflation at different times, even if they are all using exactly the same currency. This is normally not recognised because inflation is measured on a national level and nations almost always use a single currency. But inflation in California, for example, can be significantly higher or lower than inflation in Michigan at any given time. When you think of inflation as the rising costs of goods and services, this makes much more sense because different issues impacting market prices can impact different regions. Yes, one way inflation can be increased is by governments and central banks injecting lots of cash into the economy to increase total demand. More demand naturally leads to higher prices but there are other ways that inflation can come about that are more specific to individual regions. Michigan for example might have a particularly cold winter which increases demand and therefore the price of energy to keep homes warm, while California with its more temperate climate won't have the same problems and therefore won't experience that rising price level. Another real example might be the tech boom that took place in California during the 2000s and 2010s. Lots of high paying local jobs created a region of household demand much higher than the national average, which is why most things in Californian cities cost more than the same things in a regional town. If you have been looking at reported inflation figures in your own country, you would have seen figures of around 6-10%, and I'm sure a lot of you would have thought that that couldn't possibly be true, because your own cost of living had increased so much faster than that. Well, there's a good chance you're probably right because inflation is measured using the increasing price of the consumer price index, which is a diverse selection of goods and services indicative of the spending of a regular urban household. If you live away from a big city or have abnormal spending habits, then chances are your cost of living would have increased faster than the headline figures because niche products and services and markets in smaller economic centres normally suffer more during periods of high inflation. Now, Somewhere where we can see this actually represented in the figures is Europe, because Europe is home to a lot of countries with the majority of them using the same currency, the euro. France has had a reported year-on-year inflation rate of 6.2%, which is still much higher than the European Central Bank's target inflation rate of 2%, but it's much lower than a country like Latvia with an inflation rate of 22%, despite using the same currency. So, How is one country using the same currency experiencing inflation almost four times higher than another country? Well, there are the obvious issues. Latvia is much closer geographically to Russia and Ukraine and is therefore more heavily impacted by disruptions in the region. Latvia is closer to the now shut-off industrial centres of Russia than it is to most of the European Union, so it naturally did more business with Russia and also lost a lot more due to trade sanctions. But there is more to it. Inflation in France is measured differently to inflation in Latvia. Latvia is a much poorer country than France and poorer country households naturally spend a larger portion of their income on the bare essentials like food and energy, whereas in rich countries these items normally only take up a small share of household income. This means the consumer price index in Latvia will be more heavily weighted with things like food and energy. At the moment, food and energy are the markets most impacted by global events and because these markets are so heavily represented in Latvia's CPI, its inflation rate is higher. If France's inflation was measured using Latvia's consumer price index, its inflation rate would be a fair bit higher, and if Latvia's inflation rate was measured using France's consumer price index, it would be a fair bit lower. That doesn't mean that these calculations are flawed, quite the opposite actually. We measure inflation to get an idea of what is going on in the economy and the people within a nation are what drives that economy. So it's important that the consumer price index is indicative of the spending habits of people within that economy. If white flags and poodle haircuts are not what most households in Latvia are spending their money on, their economy shouldn't be measured on those goods and services." It is still important to remember this detail though because it means that direct comparisons of inflation rates can often be misleading, especially between countries with very different socio-economic conditions. But beyond that disclaimer, no matter what metrics you use, France is still running a lower rate of inflation than other EU countries, and you might have noticed on this list a European country that is running an inflation rate half that of even France. So, what is Switzerland doing right? Right. Switzerland is a very wealthy country. Its citizens are amongst the wealthiest in the world, with only Australia and a select group of micronations giving it any real competition. Wealthier citizens are going to make for an economy that is less susceptible to inflation because richer people are going to spend a lower portion of their income on essentials and a higher portion on luxuries that they can choose to go without if they become too expensive. Restaurant meals are a great example of this. Wealthier households are going to spend more on restaurant meals than households that are struggling to make ends meet. If inflation is very high, those wealthy households might just choose to eat at home, which will reduce demand for restaurant meals and force restaurants to reduce their prices by running sales to attract fickle customers back to their tables. Poorer households can't choose to stop spending money at restaurants because they likely weren't doing it to begin with, and they also can't stop consuming bare essentials like food because, well, they're bare essentials. Without food, you starve, so people are willing to spend whatever they must to feed their families. But there is still more to the Swiss story. One thing that a lot of other outlets have been focusing on is the relative stability of the Swiss franc. When compared to the US dollar, it is one of the few countries in the world that has not lost significant value this year. The main reason for this relative strength is that the Swiss franc is heavily backed by large reserves of gold, financial assets, real estate and bonds from other governments. This means that the Swiss central bank can ensure the currency stability in the foreign exchange market because if the price of the currency gets too low, they can sell their assets in exchange for Swiss francs, and if the value of the currency gets too high, they can trade their francs for more assets. People who have watched my videos on countries like China might remember that this sounds like a currency peg, but it is a little bit different in Switzerland's case because they do not target a specific price. They let the market determine the price for the most part, but they will intervene if they feel it is necessary. Now, this explanation is not wrong. It just omits some very important details, because remember, inflation is not the same thing as money becoming less valuable. The real reason that Switzerland is riding out the global inflation storm so well is, ironically, because it does a lot of trade. Switzerland is a country heavily dependent on trade, both imports and exports. The total value of all trade relative to the size of an economy is something that economists call trade intensity. Switzerland imports about 300 billion US dollars worth of goods and services every year and exports about the same amount. That works out to a per capita import and export value of around $35,000 per citizen. For reference, the USA exports around $4,000 per capita and imports just under $7,000 per capita. This does get a bit confusing because international trade has normally been seen as one of the big contributing factors causing inflation, with global supply chains and trade tensions having all manner of problems around the world. But as with most things in economics, it's important not to overgeneralise. Most of Switzerland's imports come from its neighbouring countries in the EU and the UK. These trade routes are extremely direct with trains and trucks that won't suffer from closed ports or delays at distribution centres. Switzerland is also able to leverage their strong currency to buy these imports at a 10% discount from what they were 12 months ago. In a country like the USA, where total imports account for a relatively low share of total output, this wouldn't make a huge difference. But remember, the average Swiss citizen is importing $35,000 worth of stuff every year. And if they were getting that stuff from Euro countries using their francs, they would be $3,500 better off for no other reason than their strong currency, which offsets a large part of any inflation that they were subject to. On the flip side, most of Switzerland's exports are very high end goods and services with significant value-add that aren't going to be as heavily impacted by global unrest as large-scale, low-margin commodities. There are also smaller factors, like the country's use of hydroelectric power for a majority of its energy, making it less susceptible to the oil and gas price volatilities a lot of other countries in Europe are suffering from. So is there anything to learn from Switzerland? Unfortunately, not really, no. Apart from maybe seeing the benefits of investing in highly value-adding industries and renewable resources, Switzerland has actually historically been struggling with deflation, which is slowing growth in an otherwise very prosperous country. It's important to remember that economic slowdowns normally bring with them low inflation, and a lot of economies that aren't having inflation problems right now are only in that position because they have larger economic issues that are crippling consumer demand. You can go and watch our video on Japan or why China is not going to collapse to find out why deflation can be just as bad, if not worse, than inflation. These problems aren't as present in Switzerland. But most economies will still have to forego significant growth to get themselves into a position as stable as Switzerland's. Which is a fine trade to make when all of their citizens have a high standard of living, but a harder trade-off to make when sustained growth could be the key to lifting millions of people out of poverty. Beyond that, I'm sure most economies would love to be Switzerland, in the same way that I would love to be a multi-millionaire. It's not feasible to point to one of the wealthiest countries in the world and ask other economies why they can't just do what Switzerland is doing. But what we can learn from Switzerland is where it sits on the Economics Explained National Leaderboard. Starting as always with size, Switzerland has a GDP of $813 US dollars, which makes it the 20th largest economy in the world, and it gets a 7 out of 10. That might not sound that impressive, but GDP per capita is amongst the highest in the world at $93,457 per citizen, For reference, the USA, which is itself a remarkably productive country, has a GDP per capita of just $69,288. This impressive figure is due to the highly technical industries that Swiss residents work in. I have used the process of turning raw steel into wristwatches countless times on this channel as the perfect example of adding value in an economy, and nobody does this better than the Swiss. It gets a 10 out of 10. Stability and confidence is also very high. Though its days of banking for the world's secretive elite are behind it, it is still the go-to destination for more above-board financial operations because of its world-renowned neutrality and stability. It gets a 10 out of 10. Growth has been strong relative to its European neighbours, but they haven't exactly been setting the bar extremely high. The perhaps overly careful governing system of the country favors slow stable growth and that's what they've been having it gets a seven out of ten finally industry while it's not massive the industries that they do have are world leading if you want the best bankers you get a swiss banker if you want the best chocolate you get swiss chocolate and if you want the best watches you get swiss watches swiss industry gets an eight out of ten Altogether, that gives the economy of Switzerland an average score of 8.4 out of 10, putting it into third place on the leaderboard. Thanks for watching, mate. Bye.